What are you going to do if a transgender person walks into your church? We spent three episodes this month talking about the topic of transgenderism, but a topic is not what's going to walk into your church. A person is walking into your church. We can talk about topics all day long. It's not that hard to talk about a topic. It's another thing to talk to a person and to show love to a person. And you'll find out how to do that today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister, and I am all of the phobics, pretty much all of them, okay? Transphobic, homophobic, whatever you want to call me, I probably am, (laughs) because I'm just going to agree with God on whatever God says. If you want to say that God is intolerant when it comes to homosexuality, if you want to say God is bigoted, if you want to say God is homophobic, fine, but I am going to be on Team God because your labels don't mean anything to me, and that is not a difficult decision for me to make. I already decided a long time ago, I don't care what people call me. I mean, I will respond to facts, I'll respond to logic, I'll respond to civil debate, but I'm not going to let other people's slurs or labels dictate where I stand on things. And I know I kind of came out of the gate swinging on this one today. (laughs) As I've been saying, Jesus is coming, guys. Time is short, and I'm not going to waste yours, all right? I'm going to get right to the point today. If you've already been following along in this series, you already know where I stand on this stuff. This is the fourth in a five-part series on Christianity and transgenderism, and you don't need to have listened to any of the others to, to jump in today. Because each of these five parts is about a little bit different subject matter. The first part was about transgenderism in history, talking about its evil origins. The second was about the effect it's having on society today. The third part, we got into some Bible with transgenderism versus the Bible. And that brings us to part four today. And I'm assuming you already saw the title when you clicked on it uh, or tapped on it or whatever. But um, that's what we're going to be talking today about choices that Christians must make about transgenderism. And despite my vehement disdain that I think I have made clear throughout the series so far, but despite all that, I do not hate transgender people. I mean, honestly, not one iota. Um, A few episodes back, I made reference to people who push this ideology, and I referred to them as my enemies. And, And I did that deliberately, but I was trying to be careful too. I was choosing my words carefully. You know, it might not sound very Christian to say that I have enemies, But Jesus did not say not to have enemies. He said to love your enemies. He said to pray for your enemies. He said to forgive your enemies. He he said to love your neighbor as yourself. And when somebody asked who your neighbor is, Jesus told a little story that basically said, anybody is your neighbor, even your enemies. So we have enemies, and that's okay. You know, if, if our enemies are the right people, that's okay. But when I see people out there promoting this evil ideology that's detached from reality, it's in rebellion to God, it's deceiving children, it's causing people to have their bodies permanently disfigured, they're trying to sexualize kids. When I see all that, I consider anybody who pushes that ideology my enemy. Doesn't mean I hate the people, okay? I I, I guess 
I don't know if contempt is the best word. I do have a lot of contempt for um, for people who push it. It's not my contempt is not actually for transgender people specifically. I just mostly feel sorry for transgender people. My contempt is really for the broader group of people who agree with this whole ideology and they're promoting it. And, and, and for the government leaders, for the people who are going along with it and trying to force it on the rest of us, to force the rest of us to accept it. I don't know if contempt is the best word for it, but that's that's where I have more of my my anger, I guess, on this. I hate what they're doing, okay? I hate the agenda. I hate the evil effects that it's having, but I do still need to draw the line as a Christian and say, I won't hate the people. And you can call me all the phobics you want. You can call me all the names you know. You can call me an enemy, and I might call you one of mine, but I'm not going to hate you. That's why I called last week's episode transgenderism versus the Bible. It wasn't transgenders versus the Bible because they're not the ultimate bad guys, okay? They're deceived. They're they're deceived, and Satan is the deceiver. He's the bad guy. Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10.14, it tells us, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I don't hate transgender people. I'm doing five episodes this month talking about this evil satanic ideology because ultimately I would like to see people rescued from it. And and if that's not your agenda too, turn me off because I'm not helping whatever you're doing. I want to save people and protect people from this thing. So when I see a transgender person, I think it's usually one of three things or a mix of three different things that are causing that affliction, we might say, that affliction of the mind. And it's probably a mix of these, but one, I believe they have a mental disorder and they are detached from reality. Two, I believe they're deceived by the enemy because as I've been saying, this movement is demonic. And I don't know necessarily what level of demonic activity is present in someone's life before they come to this point where they believe they're a different gender or sex or whatever. But, But it's a deception. They're deceived by the enemy if they believe that. Number three, they are rebelling against God. So on this mental disorder or detachment of reality thing, if that's what's going on with somebody, could we say that that's their fault? You know, it's really hard to say. Um, It depends on the situation. And we don't ultimately know. The problem, though, is that the more we normalize it, the more that we say it's okay to have this mental disorder and that we go along with it and pretend that it's real, the more we do that, the more other people are starting to have it. That's why the gender confusion is so much higher in the younger generations than it was 50 years ago. Um, That's why the youngest generation, Gen Z, they were raised on cell phones. They're raised on social media. They're raised on YouTube and TikTok and and pornography. And they are extremely gender confused. Nearly half of them are reporting themselves somewhere on the LGBT spectrum. Okay. In the older generations, that wasn't the case. It was like less than 1% called themselves transgender in the older generations but it's so much higher today. Why is that? It's being induced. They are being deceived. They are being manipulated. In one sense, they are victims. On the other hand, when they reject God, when they mock Christianity, when they mock the Bible, that's also more and more common in this everyday culture. Well, when they do that, they they do willingly close themselves off to the truth. That's, That's a willing choice that they make. So to me, if I meet a transgender person, 
That, to me, that would just be similar to if I met someone who believed that they're a potted plant, okay? I would think that they have something wrong with them psychologically to make them think that way. And I can be sympathetic in that regard. But also, I would wonder if, if they had done something to induce that psychosis. So in that regard, I'm a little bit less sympathetic because I, then I recognize they've also done some things that brought this on themselves. So it's like someone might say, hey, it's not my fault that I'm gender confused. It's not my fault that I'm gender dysphoric. Okay, but, but see, if you're rotting your brain on pornography, if you're embracing other types of evil, and that's causing your dysphoria, well, then, then that could be your fault. So, you know, we talked last time about the Matrix directors and the Ellen, Ellen Elliott. I can't, I can't remember her name now. Ella, Ella Page or Ellen Page? Now I can't remember, but here's what, we, here's what I recognize from that. Their dysphoria was real, but it's also clear to me that they've somewhat brought it on themselves by embracing darkness in their lives. So again, I can't know someone's whole history if when I meet them. I don't, I don't, it's not my really my place to make those kind of judgments about an individual person. If I meet an individual person who's a transgender, identifies that way, it's not my job to try to figure out how much they're deceived and how much they're just in a willful disobedience. It's not my job. It's not, it's not my job to do that. It is, it is my job to show them love and to try to save them from this. So if they walked into my church, well, what could I do? to push them closer to God. Is, is there a seed that I can plant? Is there a seed already planted that perhaps I can water? Okay, or am I just going to kick them out and turn them away? Well, these are the questions that we're going to eventually have to answer because if it hasn't happened yet, a transgender person someday could very well walk right into your church. And who knows where they're coming from on this? They might hate God. They might not have ever had the first thought about God. They might have been raised in church. They might have never entered a church before in their life. They might be hateful and scowl all during the sermon. They might be sweet and bubbly and kind. So you can't control what they do, but you can control what you do. So let's talk a little bit today about what you're going to do. Preston Sprinkle is an author. He frequently deals with these questions of Christianity, faith, sex, and gender. And he wrote a book on the transgender issue. It was called Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. And I'm going to be talking about that book a little bit more next time. Um, I agree with some of the book. I might, be, I might agree with most of the book, uh, but not all of it. Um, I, I'll get into that a little bit more next time. But I do want to share a story that he puts in the book. Okay, He shares a story about a woman named Leslie and she was married to another woman. So Leslie, and I, when I say married, I mean in the eyes of the current law of the United States. I'm not, I, you know, obviously I don't recognize a, a same-sex marriage as um, a real marriage as far as in the sight of God. But, I'm, you know, you all have to understand that. When I say that she was married to a woman, I'm talking about legally, I guess. So anyway, this Leslie is married to another woman, and Leslie has gender dysphoria. Um, if I remember right, so it's like she's a female, but she identifies as male, but biologically she's female. So Leslie's spouse passed away. There was a tragic accident, and she decided um, that she was going to contact a church to hold the funeral. And so Leslie had had negative experiences with churches prior to this, so she was a little bit intimidated to call a church. And so I'm going to read about what happened next in the book. I'm just going to read a page from this book. It says, The crushing blow of losing a spouse was unbearable. 
Half-dazed, Leslie scrambled to find a church that might be willing to do Sue's funeral. After not setting foot in a church for 18 years, Leslie called the only church that they were that she was aware of. It was a church that Sue had once volunteered at. It happened to be one of the most conservative churches in the area. The pastor picked up the phone. Stammering, Leslie said, Hi, my name is Leslie, and my wife just died. We're lesbians, but I was wanting to know if you would do my wife's funeral. So the pastor didn't say, let me think about that. Or maybe, but first you have to know where we stand on the issue of transgenderism and the lesbian lifestyle. With compassion and conviction, instead, the pastor said, we would be honored to. I'm so sorry for your loss. You must be truly grieving right now. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose a loved one. Please, Leslie, let us take care of all the details of the funeral, the cost, the arrangements, whatever you need. Please, Leslie, let us love you through your pain. The church surrounded Leslie with love, something Leslie had never felt from Christians. Leslie had experienced such love and kindness from the LGBTQ people, but not from Christians. And it was with this simple embodiment of Christ-like kindness that reignited Leslie's passion for Jesus and brought Leslie back to faith in Christ. Leslie will be hanging out with us for all eternity in the new creation, all because one pastor had the courage to manifest God's kindness. So again, this is a story in a book. I don't know. It said it was a conservative church, so I can guess, but I don't know exactly what the church's stance on homosexuality was. I don't know when Leslie got saved, if that means she submitted to God's order of male and female. I would like a little bit more information on all that, but I just know what's said right there in the book. Here's what I want to point out. When this pastor was faced with the decision, that this decision would probably freak most pastors out, right? <laughs> like They would be un- not so sure what to say and how to handle that if they got that phone call just right out of the blue, right? You're just sitting in your office and the phone rings and you pick it up and this is what's presented to you. You're probably not thinking about something like that. So you're probably not. But here's what I want to say. This pastor was. These are the moments you got to be ready for, especially if you're in ministry. But you, but for all of us Christians, we have to have already determined beforehand how we are going to respond in a moment like that so that we can make the right decision when the moment comes. So as I said before, what are you going to do if a transgender person walks into your church? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road, as I said at the beginning. We've spent a few episodes talking about the topic of transgenderism, but the topic is not what's going to walk into your church. The transgender person is. And we can talk about topics all day long, but it's another thing to talk to a person and show love to a person. So here are some choices that Christians must make about transgenderism. Here's choice number one. What are you going to do when a transgender person walks into your church? And here's what you have to decide beforehand. You have to decide first that you're going to treat them with love and respect. Okay? You're going to smile. You're going to shake their hand. You're going to ask their name. You're going to treat them just as you would any other guest. All right? Number two, here's something else you got to think about. Don't, I mean, I don't want to gloss over number one too quick. That's just very important. I might have some more to say about that later, but you got to just decide beforehand so you're not freaked out in the moment trying to decide, oh, what am I supposed to do here? You're going to be, you're going to be courteous and kind. You're going to be loving like you would be with any other guest that you just got to remember that. Number two, eventually they may need to use a bathroom. Okay. And when that, when that comes, someone is going to be uncomfortable. If you've got a transgender person who, let's say, is a man that believes he's a woman, then either the women are going to be uncomfortable that a man is coming into their space, or the men are going to be uncomfortable when there's a guy wearing a dress who comes into their bathroom. 
that someone is going to be made uncomfortable by this whole thing. But let me offer you, let me present a possible solution to this problem. Really what your church needs to have is a family or a single person bathroom. And if you have that, that actually solves a lot of these problems. I mean, for one thing, they're they're just great for families in general. They're great for handicapped people who might need a little bit extra accommodation and can take advantage of something like that. And also, as this transgender thing becomes a larger and larger issue in society, as it becomes constantly more likely that a transgender person will wander into your church, well, we want to minister to them. We want to, you know, it's our, it's our, that's our job is to, to bring them closer to God from the moment they walk through our doors. But I'd say you probably should just try to go out of your way to accommodate having a single stall bathroom at your church. And you probably already do. That should just be the designated spot that if a transgender person comes in, where you would want to uh, encourage them to go if they need to use the restroom. I, you know, you might wait until they actually do need to use the restroom. You don't have to tell them that at the front door. But, you know, a lot of a lot of people, really, to have a family restroom in your church, that's something that a lot of people benefit from. And this would also help with the transgender uh, issue if that would come up at your church, okay? Remember what it says in Romans 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And having a, a family restroom or a single-person bathroom, that's an excellent way to do that uh, for transgender people. Also, keep this in mind about a transgender person using a bathroom at your church. For, for them, using a bathroom is often a source of great anxiety. Um, that's what that's one of the things I learned from this book I mentioned earlier called Embodied. Uh, whether whether it's their fault for having the gender dysphoria or not, you know, you can't know that when somebody walks into your church. So we don't have to like necessarily judge them, <laughs> you know, jump down their, we're not jumping down their throat about it right off the bat. But they do have gender dysphoria. So their anxiety is real. You know, whether they did something to bring it on themselves or not, it is a real anxiety. And using the bathroom can be a, a very stressful situation for a transgender person because they're not sure where they go. They're not sure where they are welcome. And for the majority of people who have gender dysphoria, they just want to pee. Like, that's what they're after here. <laughs> they're not trying to corrupt the people in the bathroom. So if you request that they use their biological restroom, or if you request that they use a family restroom, they should generally be more than happy to accommodate that because then they know where they're supposed to go, especially if it's a family restroom. They should be more than happy to accommodate that when they come into your church. Here's something you might want to consider is putting up a sign in your men's room and your and your women's room and have the sign say something like this. For those struggling with gender dysphoria, we understand that using the bathroom can be stressful. For your accommodation, we have made a single stall slash family restroom available at, and you give the location, and you say at our church, at whatever your church's name is, we request that everybody use the, the restrooms corresponding to their biological sex or to use the family restroom as this keeps everybody feeling safe and comfortable in the restrooms. Thank you for your understanding. Please see so-and-so with any questions about this policy. You might want to consider having something like that, a sign in your church's restroom. Um, I mean, more and more as the days go forward, it, I think it just becomes more likely every single Sunday that a transgender person will walk into your church. And you want to be ready for it. That's why we make preparations and accommodations and decide beforehand what we're going to do about all that. That brings me to point number three here. Church leadership needs to meet and discuss these issues. You need to make sure everyone is on the same page when it comes to this stuff. 
We're all working together to make the church a safe place by having rules, by having standards. We're not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Everybody understands. So you make sure everybody understands, but you, especially your church leadership, you meet together, you lay out your policies, what they're going to be, so that everybody everybody understands when a transgender person walks through your doors, we're going to treat them with love. And we're also going to set certain boundaries. And when I say setting boundaries, what I really mean is that they're gonna we're gonna request that they follow the same standards that everybody else does. That means men are using the men's restrooms, women are using the women's restrooms. Restrooms are about biology. You know, they want to make the distinction in sex and gender, and we've talked about that so far on the podcast here. But um, that that is really not a real there's not a real distinction there. But to transgender people, they they believe there's a difference in sex and a difference in gender. Well. Bathrooms are about sex. They're about biology, okay? Not about what you feel like in your head. That's a place where you're taking care of a biological issue. So we request that everyone uses the restroom in accordance with their biology. And you got to you got to make sure your leadership is all on the same page about this ahead of time. If you're not, then some, you know, transgender person walks in, what if you have people saying two different things? What if they have two different policies in their heads of what to what to tell people, where to tell them to go? What if someone wants to be more more accommodating to their gender identity than what your what your pastor would prefer that the church's policy is? You got to lay this stuff out ahead of time. Uh, I remember this one time I was talking to this older guy and he was telling me about how he had picked up a hitchhiker, and then he found out the hitchhiker was was gay somewhere during the conversation while they while he was giving him a ride. As soon as he found that out, he he proudly told me this is terrible. He proudly told me that he pulled over. And kick the the gay guy out, <laughs> and he thought he was doing the right thing. Like he thought mistreating a gay person, he thought that was the Christian thing to do because in his head he thought, oh, Christians aren't supposed to associate with gay people. Now, listen, guys, that's not right. Um, if your church leadership, if your church staff, if your church workers, um, if the and and that was you know that you might say, well, that's an extreme case. But listen, if your church leadership or your church staff, if the volunteers at your church if they're not all on the same page about how to treat a transgender person, you run the risk of somebody treating them in a very unloving way. Like that guy I was talking about who just kicked the hitchhiker out. You know, you don't want that. You don't want someone to walk away from your church with a story like that. Even if they, maybe in their head, they're thinking they're doing the right thing. Well, these nuances when it comes to loving somebody, even though you disagree with their lifestyle, well, those are not nuances that just always come naturally to everyone. They don't, not everybody realizes that the same way. So don't make assumptions, okay? You talk about these things, starting with the church leadership, but you want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Make sure that they also know it's not just about saying the right things. You got to also watch your tone because you can say all the right things, but if your tone is haughty or if it's condescending or if it's even hateful, you might not get very far with them. And if they try to use the wrong bathroom, here's what you do. You gently suggest that they use the family restroom or their biological restroom. And then if they refuse to to do that, or if they escalate the situation, if they get all upset and throw a fit about it, that's a very clear sign right there that this person has bad intentions at your church. Okay? You can say it's in our best interest to make the ladies of our church feel as comfortable as possible in the restroom. So we require that everyone use their biological restroom or use the single stall restroom. You say that to them gently. You say it politely. And then if they refuse, 
then you might have to ask them to leave. Okay, but don't give in to the person because they're getting cranky about it. If someone's going to refuse or throw a fit about something like that, they have bad intentions. Listen, not everyone who's, a, you know, not every transgender person or anybody, period, who walks into your church, not every stranger who walks into your church has good intentions to find the Lord. You know, sometimes people who just want to th throw a wrench into things will come, start coming to your church. Got to be careful about that stuff. Use wisdom, okay? You can discern sometimes with situations like this, whether this is going to be a person who has good intentions or bad intentions, all right? And you got to remember to protect your church as a whole. Um, you're not just trying to accommodate whatever a guest wants. And, and I'll just mention one more thing, too. This could You could probably go on for a long time about this. Um, Gender-confused people should not be working with kids. So, you know, if you have a gender-confused person, you know, you, you should, if you have, like, a children's area worker, um, they need to have the background check and all that. Uh, you and you need to know them long enough that they have a history with the church. Um, but that that needs to be your policy, you know, that that you have that you don't have gender confused people working with children at the church, because that is a real battleground area right now in the culture is what we see is this attack on children. And so um, just to have a safeguard there and make just make sure your your church leadership is on the same page about this and that this is like a, a written policy for you guys uh, when it comes to to children's workers. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the, that's my overview of how I think you should handle it. If a transgender person comes to your church, let's talk about some other choices that Christians must make. Uh, here, what about when a boy wants to use the girl's locker room? This is not something that's going to happen in your church. Uh, but it, this doesn't even pertain specifically to Christianity, but I think that's an issue that Christians need to have an opinion about and that they need to be willing to stand for truth on. When a boy wants to play on the girls' sports team, when a man wants to go to the women's prison, well, when that those things right there, those are maybe they're social issues, maybe they're legal issues, but those are also issues of justice, oppression, victimization, and I think Christians need to be willing to speak out against that stuff. I'm not listen personally. I'm no feminist. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm not a feminist in the slightest. But but I at least think women should be treated with respect and dignity and equality and Christians should stand up for truth and stand up for justice. So when a, when a gender confused person wants to go play for the wrong sports team, and usually that's going to be a biological boy wanting to play on the girls sports team. Well, when that happens, you have a choice to make. You can either protect the one boy's feelings or maybe the two boys' feelings, or you can protect the entire girl's feelings and their, the whole team's feelings and their awards and records and all that stuff. You have a choice to make right there. Do you protect the one or two who are wanting to join the girls team? Or do you protect all the girls and keep the boys out of their locker rooms? Okay. Some people are going to say that we should capitulate to what the biological males want and that we should do this on the basis of love. All right. But here's what you have to remember. If you can only make the boy feel loved or if you can only make the girls feel loved, Simple math dictates if you're going to do the most loving thing, you protect the girls because that's where the majority is. Okay, if you can only make 10% of the kids feel loved or if you can make 90% feel loved and protected, love dictates protecting the 90%, not the, you know, the one or two transgender kids who want to be in the girls locker room. Well, that's not loving when you try to make all the other kids feel uncomfortable. That's not real love. You might say, well, didn't Jesus leave the 99 to go after the one? He did, 
But he didn't do it at the expense of the 99. He didn't demolish the 99 just to get to that one. And and when you let a girl, or I'm sorry, when you let a boy on the girls' sports team, and then they smash all the girls' records, and they take away the girls' trophies, and they take scholarship opportunities away from the girls, that is unjust. That is an injustice going on in our society. And Christians should oppose injustice. Um, Paul cares about gender distinctives. Okay, I'm sure if Paul were alive today um, and he saw that there were men's rooms and and women's restrooms, he would be all in favor of that. (laughs) I'm not sure what the bathroom situation was like 2000 years ago, but Paul. But I do know Paul was in favor of gender distinctives in First Corinthians 11. That's a passage about head coverings and the roles of men and women. And many Christians debate nowadays about how we apply these differences in a modern context. And I'm not going to wade into that whole debate today. That's that's the thing about the head coverings and all that. Um, I'm not going to get into all that. But here's one thing that that's not really up for debate. At least the chapter is saying that there is a difference in men and women. If there's one thing we can conclude from that, whether or not we want to make rules about hair length or head coverings or any of that, but we do have to recognize Paul was saying that there is a difference at the end of the road, at the bottom, at the end of the line. When you boil it down to brass tacks, there is a difference in men and women, okay? So we don't have to agree how to interpret the rest of that chapter, but let's at least agree that there are that there's a gender distinctive, and that's what Paul is talking about. There's a gender distinctive in Scripture, and that gender distinctive still matters today. When Jesus was asked about marriage, he quoted Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He said they made them, he made them male and female. He didn't say... And that was 4,000 years ago, so it's outdated. It doesn't apply anymore. No, Jesus still quoted it as relevant and applying. And so there are male and female. There are sex distinctions in Scripture, and there's boundaries that are set for the sexes. And when people try to transgress those boundaries, like in Deuteronomy, where it says a man can't wear women's clothing. Well, the Bible's always negative about it when people try to transgress those boundaries. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 11. All I'm saying is that gender distinctives matter, and Christians should decide decide beforehand how they're going to handle them. All right, one more thing I want to talk about. Choice number three that we want to discuss today, will you hate the sin and not the sinner? That's the third thing I want to talk about. First one was, what are you going to do when a transgender person walks into your church? That's the first choice. Second one, when a boy wants to use the girl's locker room, or sports teams, or prisons, all that. That was the second. But here's the third one today. Will you hate the sin, but not the sinner? And I do feel like we got to talk about that, because that's it's it's one of those phrases, and I agree with the phrase. I'm not against, some people are trying to, trying to be down on that phrase nowadays. I think it's a great philosophy to live by. Most of the time, it's not that hard to do. But when it comes to this transgender thing, when you look at what they're doing to children, and when I say they, I mean society at large right now. But when you look at that, it gets more difficult. So here's what I want you to remember about transgender people when you interact with them. Most of them are not necessarily trying to get your kids. There is an LGBT movement in this country that's out to get your kids. That's a societal problem. That's probably not what the average person who has gender dysphoria is thinking about all day. Now, that said, there are some who who are. That can be rage-inducing. We do need to protect our kids. We want to be careful. 
But I'm just saying, don't assume that about every transgender person that you meet. Be on guard, but don't just assume that, okay? This is one of the challenges that we as Christians are going to have to face in this day and age. I mean, if listen, if I can be honest for a minute, it's hard sometimes not to feel hate when you see these videos of people trying to dance provocatively sexually for kids, for children. It's, it, it, makes it, hard, it makes it hard not to feel hate towards those parents. Like what kind of parent brings their kids to a male stripper dressed, dressed like a demonic caricature of a woman? What kind of parent thinks that's entertainment? What kind of parent thinks that's kid-appropriate entertainment? What kind of sick-minded school official takes some kind of sick delight in, in exposing kids to male strippers? I don't even understand the mindset there. It's really, really hard for me not to feel hatred for people when I see a video of that going on. It's horrific. So, I mean, I, you know, I really got to check my heart on this. This is why I say this is a choice we have to make because it's easy to slip into anger and hatred on this stuff. Uh, I take some comfort in what Jesus said. Uh, about if someone would cause a child to sin. He said, tie a millstone around their neck, drop them in the deepest part of the ocean. That's that's literally what Jesus said. It's in Matthew 18. So, I mean, I guess I take a little bit of comfort in knowing that Jesus, Jesus took this targeting, targeting children stuff, even probably even more seriously than I do. A lot of people would look at Jesus's words there and they'd say, well, that sounds like hate. Well, again, I don't care what label you want to stick on me. I'm on team Jesus, whatever you want to call him. I hope you'll call me the same thing because I want to be like Jesus. And so I look at Jesus saying something like that. And and I guess since Jesus was perfect, when he said that thing about the millstone, he didn't have any hate in his heart. He, did, he didn't have any hate in his heart for the evil person. Now, how can you do that? How can you, how can you posit tossing someone into the ocean with a rock around their neck and not hate them? Well, the answer to that question is, you have to take emotion out of the decision and you have to set your standards beforehand. So when it comes to capital punishment in the Old Testament, God had already set the standards in the Old Testament. He says there are some lines that you just don't cross. If there's a murderer or a rapist in the Old Testament, you don't need to sit around debating about what to do with them. You killed them. It wasn't an emotional decision. It wasn't a hate-filled decision. You just, you set your standards and then you just lived by them. And that's what we have to do with our church's policies when it comes to transgender people, which by the way, they're a lot less um, emotional or stressful than capital punishment. Okay. We're not, <laughs> we're not having to cast stones. We're, we're not talking about killing people at, at our church. We're talking about enforcing rules for bathrooms. All right. So it's a much like lower on the emotional scale here, but still set your standards and then just enforce them. Okay. When a transgender person walks into your church, you've just already decided that if you see them get up to use the restroom, you're going to have somebody monitoring that situation so they can intervene if necessary, because that's what church security, that's what they're for. Okay. Make sure they know that if your church is on the smaller side, maybe you don't have security. That's what deacons and volunteers are for. You just gotta make sure everyone's on the same page. You gotta decide beforehand and talk this stuff out and know what to do and what the church's policy is. And also, you make sure everybody knows that you're gonna love each person who walks through your doors just like Jesus did because they are just as valuable as you are. They are just as lost as you once were. And they are made in God's image. In his image, they were created. Male and female, he created them. They are God's image bearers, even if they don't realize that, 
but these policies are meant to help them hopefully learn it. If you appreciate today's Bible study, you could show your appreciation by saying a prayer that more people find it, uh, or by sharing it, or by leaving a like or a positive review that, that helps it in the algorithms or whatever. Hey, if you even just say a prayer, I'd really appreciate it. I'd, I'd appreciate that too. If you have any hate mail for me today, you can send it to crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And so um, I know I called it a Bible study. We didn't. We read some verses today. It wasn't a whole lot of verses. We're just really talking about a really, really important cultural issue and and a issue that Christians are going to need to to be aware of and and have already thought through these things, but before they have to. Uh, decide before you have to. That's one of my mottos. Uh, next time on this podcast, there's still one more decision that Christians need to make about transgenderism that I did not cover today, and that's regarding this issue of pronouns. I would have never thought even five years ago, that I would be working on a Bible study called Christians and Pronouns. I would have said, what is that even all about? Okay, but but here I am. That's what I'm working on for next week. And what a time to be alive, right? So in closing, I want to, I want to look at a story from Daniel. So we are going to have a little bit of Bible study today. Daniel, as you probably know, was a Jewish teenager in Israel. He was kidnapped by these people called the Babylonians. And they had this evil king named, named Nebuchadnezzar. And he was, ta- uh, Daniel, he was taken away to this distant land of Babylon. He lost his home. He lost his family. He even lost his name. They actually changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which is naming him after a demon, I believe, a, a false god. And not only that, to make matters worse, they turned him into a eunuch. Let's look at what happened in Daniel chapter 1. It says in verse 3, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palaces and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So basically what it says is they took some of the best-looking Jewish boys, some of these boys they had kidnapped, boys like Daniel, And they said, you are going to be servants of the king. You're going to be put in Babylon University. You're going to learn the ways of Babylon. You're going to be forced to adopt a bunch of lifestyle choices of the Babylonian people. And you don't get an option here. This is what you have to do. Daniel didn't have a choice. He couldn't even decide what they would call him as his name. They changed his own name. But he was able to decide one thing. And it was when they brought the food out for him to eat. He knew it was not food he was supposed to eat. And I'm not exactly sure why, if it was because it was sacrificed to demons, maybe it went against Jewish dietary laws. I don't I don't really know for sure, okay? But Daniel realized this was not food he was supposed to eat. So it says in verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor the wine which he drank, 
Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So verse eight there has this line that you really need to, you should just memorize the verse, but memorize these words. Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. That means when they set the meat in front of him, he wasn't really tempted by it. He had already decided beforehand, before they ever put it in front of him, he decided he was not going to eat it. He had already predetermined, he had already predecided, there's nothing that's going to make me consider eating that meat. For so many temptations that we struggle with, we could avoid the struggle entirely if we would just decide before we have to. If we would decide just once, decide it up front, that we just aren't going to go there. You just decide now so you don't have to wrestle with the decision later. You have to decide up front what you're going to do before you're in a situation where you're going to have to do it. Daniel had already decided before they ever put that plate of meat in front of him that he wasn't going to eat any of it. Decide before you have to. He didn't wait until he was in the heat of the moment to think about those things. And if you do that, you could you could make a mistake. You get all emotional. You're more likely to, to choose the wrong thing. You might choose the right thing, but you're so emotional about it Nobody takes your conviction very seriously. They might think you're just a crazy person. You have to decide beforehand. Keep your cool. Don't flinch. Be polite, but don't back down. If you decide beforehand, you can rest in your convictions and you'll be ready for the choices that I can guarantee you're going to have to make some choices. Listen, sometimes we're going to be unsure what the right answer is. Perhaps we're going to be tempted to compromise. Perhaps we'll try to figure out Maybe if our situation is an exception so we could suspend our principles in those moments, don't do that. If you ever get nervous about what the right answer is, just remember the decision you made up front. When that comes to this transgender thing, when that comes to any decision in your Christian life, you just got to remember the first decision you made when you decided to follow Jesus. If you've already decided that, all these other decisions kind of just fall into place. Everything starts to get more clear. I don't have to sit around and try to figure out whether or not I should affirm someone's gender delusions because I've already decided I wouldn't do that when I decided to follow Jesus. It's like the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No looking back. No looking back. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that I've decided to follow Jesus. And when you do that, there's no looking back. 